Welcome to Matan's Parsha podcast, Sefer Dvarim. Each week, a different Matan teacher will share words of Torah to illuminate the Parsha and your week. Today's Shiur and Parshat Kitavo will be given by Rabbanit Shani Terrigan, a senior lecturer at Matan and the educational director of the Belos Eshkelot Educators Institute for Tanakh and Jewish Studies at Matan's Jerusalem branch. Rabbanit Terrigan is also a graduate of the Matan Scholars Program. As we open up Parshat Kitavo, on one hand, it seems as if we're continuing with the mitzvot of Moshe's mitzvah speech that actually began in Zvarim Perek Dalid. And yet, as we continue, we see that after the first two mitzvot, the mitzvah that we call Mikra Bikurim, the proclamation when we bring the Bikurim and what is also known by Chazal as Vidui Ma'asrot, we then find what actually seems to be a new beginning. In a Perek Chafav, chapter 26, verse 16, Hayom hazeh Hashem alokacha mitzavcha lasot et hachukim ha'ele ve'et hamishpatim v'shamrita v'asitotam b'chol levavcha v'chol nafshacha. And this reminds us of the introduction that we learned at the very beginning of Sefer Dvarim, and especially as we continue in the parsha, not only with the milah mancha of hayom, hayom, the day, wherein Moshe Rabbeinu not only refers back to the Brit of Sinai, but is also going to have what I like to call the dress rehearsal for the Brit of Eretz Yisrael here in our Vot Moav. And therefore, we look and we wonder why it is that Moshe Rabbeinu ends the mitzvah speech the way that Parshat Kitavo begins with these two particular mitzvot, the mitzvah of Mikra Bikurim and the mitzvah of Idui Ma'asrot. At first glance, it seems that the mitzvah of bringing the Bikurim, the first fruits, to the Beit HaMikdash belongs either in Sefer Vayikra, Perach of Gimel, when we hear about the Menchach Tehalechem, the first of the grains that we bring at the time of Shavuot, which are actually called Lechem Bikurim. Why not simply juxtapose the Mikra Bikurim, the proclamation that accompanies the bringing of the Bikurim, to the mitzvah of the Bikurim bringing from the first of the grains to the land? Or perhaps even relating this to the mitzvot of reshit, either reshit kitzurchem, maybe even juxtaposing it to the karban omer, or the categories of other forms of reshit, the mitzvah of truma, trumat maaser, chala, reshit hageza, the first fleece, the firstborn of animals, the redemption of the firstborn children. So much so that the Rambam Imoren Vuchim and the Sefer HaChinuch both agreed that there is a common reason for all of these mitzvot. The offering of the first of the reshit of everything that one has represents one's cognizance of the fact that Hashem is the master of all of our possessions. But the mitzvah of Bikurim that we have here at the beginning of Parshat Kitavo and is of a different nature, accompanying the proclamation. So again, why is it mentioned only here at the end of the mitzvah speech and not juxtapose earlier? If we look carefully, we find that this mitzvah is slightly different. The mitzvah bringing Bikurim is accompanied by the mitzvah of declaring something, of mikra Bikurim, something that we don't find, both by the Bikurim of the the first of the fleece, the first of the firstborn, for example. Secondly, the first fruits that are brought to the Beit HaMikdash are in fact a mincha, 
a mincha that we bring to the Beit HaMikdash, so much so that when the Beit HaMikdash does not stand, we do not bring the Bikurim, as opposed to the other first mitzvot that apply to the individual that don't necessarily have a connection to the Beit HaMikdash. Thirdly, the obligation of the Bikurim applies, as we know, to the Sheba Minin, the seven species of Eret Yisrael. And this is also different from the Trumot and Masrot, which by biblical law apply to the grain and the wine and the oil. And Midra Banan extend to all the produce from the land. Fourthly, these Bikurim are also different in that the obligation of bringing the first fruits applies to the owner of the land in which the fruits were grown. So someone who has a tree in someone else's field is not necessarily going to bring Bikurim by virtue of the fact that he doesn't own the land. And therefore, as we take a look at the Psukim that we're going to read together, both at the mitzvah of the Bikurim accompanied by Mikra Bikurim, we're going to ask ourselves what really is so unique. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu going to mention this mitzvah separately, and why is this going to serve as the conclusion for basically 22 chapters of mitzvot? As we look at the parshia, we see that there's a mila mancha, the mila mancha of netina, of a giving, but it's not just that. The focus of the giving, as we see from the very first pasuk, perachava pasuk aleph, vayaki tavo la'aret asher Hashem olokacha noten lacha nachala v'yirishta v'yashavta ba. We hear about the focus of the land. It's not just bringing fruit, but you're bringing pri ha'adama asher tavi me'artzecha. You're bringing from the land itself. And certainly, as we take a look at the proclamation that accompanies bringing these bikurim, we talk about how once upon a time, our father was a wandering Armenian, which uh, the Parshanim, as we know, explain is either referring to Avraham Avinu, who was wandering for so long, or Yaakov who also did not necessarily have a land, and then Hashem brought him down to Mitzrayim, wherein we were suffering and screaming out to Hashem, and Hashem heard our cries. Hashem took us out in a miraculous manner. The focus is Hashem bringing us to the land. As we're bringing the produce, what we're basically saying to Hashem is thank you for the land. This is the one mitzvah wherein we offer a tzvidlah, as Martin Buber beautifully explains in his article, Bikurim, in Darkoshal Mikra. He says that there are gifts that are offered to the gods from the first of the harvest, and that's a familiar ph- phenomenon in all cultures, in different prayers. But this is the only tzvidlah. He says, of all the different types of prayers in the world, I know of only one in which the worshiper praises God for having given him a land. This is the mitzvah of Bikurim, wherein the speaker does not merely say, I have come to the land, but rather he states that he declares to Hashem that he has come to the land. He says, it is my responsibility to testify and identify myself as a person who has come to the land. And he does this because he has to say, it's not only Am Yisrael as a nation on a national level, but I, I myself am brought here as an individual. I identify myself as part of these people who have come to the land. And therefore, I'm bringing the fruits as a recognition of Hashem bringing me to the land. And these then are literally the fruits, not of my labor, but the fruits of the land that HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
has given to me. This, then, is the unique reason behind the mitzvah of bringing Bikurim. It's not just the bringing of the Bikurim, but it's an opportunity for every owner of land in Eretz Yisrael to thank Hashem for the gift of the land, for that historical phenomenon, which took place in the past, but every year in which I bring them, I relive that recognition. I remind myself until the present moment that I am beholden to God. I thank God. And therefore, Buber also tells us that the bringing of the Bikurim, the bringing of the land come together in this tefillah, as we're going to see, not only from the word of Netina, but also the word of, of Lavo. The word of Ba appears here six times in the parasha of Bikurim, in two groups of three. And the parallel between the two groups indicates that the two major movements or the two major proclamations, really, of the parasha are God bringing man to the land, and then man bringing Bikurim to HaKadosh Baruch But as we mentioned, there's another Mila Manchan, the Parsha, that also serves to indicate the entire idea of the relationship between Hashem, Am Yisrael, and Eretz Yisrael, and that's going to be the perfect Mila Mancha, Genitina, mentioned seven times, Hashem who brought literally, again, brings Am Yisrael to the land, Ba, and then Netina, and then gives it to them. Again, here we see that Hashem is going to be involved both in the Bia and the Netina. Interestingly, though, that when we bring the Bikurim, we talk about bringing, we talk about Ba, but we don't speak about Netina, hinting to us that really, again, the idea then of Netina is even, on one hand, the the basic idea, the focus of the parsha, it's about what Hashem has done. Hashem has given us, Hashem has given us the ultimate gift. While in the center, again, we find that there's actually one other, we'll call them even character that gives. Who is that? That's Mitzrayim. Right in the middle, we talk about one other Netina that is referred to in a Literally, the middle pasuk pasuk va vayareu otanu hamitzrim vayanunu vayetnu alenu avoda kasha. What a very interesting way of incorporating this mila mancha, this very strange giving. The Egyptians gave upon us hard labor. This is an, an incongruous use of the word netina teaching us of the negative contrast. Look at what the Mitzrayim give us versus what HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives. And therefore, to continue with Buber for a moment, he says, God's great gift to Israel is the land. This is impressed in our minds with a fivefold repetition of Netina. And finally, this root is used in a more general way in order to leave no room for mistake. You shall rejoice in all the good which Hashem, your God, has given you. Not only the land itself, but also its yearly produce comes as a gift from God's hand. So we have five times Netina in the introduction, the Netina of Mitzrayim versus the greatest of the Netinot. And therefore, as we continue with the Psukim, when one brings the Bikurim, we also find that there is a Mikra. There is a declaration. The bearer of the Bikurim reviews the history from the time period of the Avot until Hashem bringing us into the land. And this is the way in which we speak. The person who brings the Bikurim speaks first of Am Yisrael in the first person plural. As we take a look, we begin by reciting what was done to us. Let's look within the psukim inside. 
av Arami Ovedavi Vayaret Mitraima, Vayagar Shambem Temaat, Vayisham Legoi Gadola Tsumverab. We became a great nation in Mitraim, Vayareu Otanu Hamitrim, Vaya Anunu, Vayetnu Alenu, Abudakasha, Vanitakal Hashem Loke Abotenu, Vayishmashem et Koleno, Vayar et Onyeno, Vet Amalenu, Vet Lachatenu, Vayotienu. Here we find always again the plural. And yet, what's interesting is that as we continue, and we see that we also talk about the the first person, somewhat so that if we go back to Pasagimel, there was mentioned in the singular, Uvata el hakohen. We have the first person singular, I declare, I have come. But at the conclusion of the historical review, and only in Pasag Yud do we go back to the first person, wherein we say, Vata hine heveti et reshit priyadama asher natata li Hashem v'inachto lefne Hashem alokecha v'ishtachabita lefne Hashem alokecha. Here we find the major content is going to be on the national level. And yet, each person, seeing oneself as part of a nation, has this responsibility. Let's now analyze the structure of this mikra, this declaration, and see what we may, what we, may we as, uh, as readers, as learners here, extrapolate from this parshia. We find that the speech is beautifully presented in two equal parts, with a pasuk zayin, as we already mentioned, serving as the central axis between them. The first part, again, where we find, again, the bringing of the Bikurim itself, again, and now the declaration which begins in Pasuk Hei. Va'anita va'amarta lifne Hashem alokecha arami oveiravi. We speak about my father who was a wandering Armenian and he went down to Egypt and he dwelled there in a few a number, but there he became a great, mighty, and populous nation and the Egyptians were evil towards us and afflicted us and placed upon us hard labor. Then the axis with, the contrast with Hashem, God, again, we cried out to Hashem, the God of our forefathers. God heard our voices, saw our affliction, and our labor, and our oppression. And then comes part two, beginning in Pasukhet. Then Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim with a strong hand, with an outstretched arm, with great terror, with signs, with wonders. And he brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. What distinguishes each half from the other? The answer it seems very clear as we look at the verbs. The first half describes the human actions. God isn't even mentioned in the first half of the declaration. It's the second half that talks about the divine actions. How HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us out from Mitzrayim. Hashem leading Am Yisrael to this place. Hashem giving us this land, the land of milk and honey. So what's the, the meaning behind the absence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name from the first half of the speech? Well, the first half describes the historical events as being of the type in which Hashem's presence is hidden. That's when Am Yisrael did not perceive the hand of Hashem. That's when we find the time period of the of the Avot, as we find at the beginning of Parshat Vaera, Ushmi Hashem Lono Dati Lahem, wherein we didn't see any clear divine manifestations. The idea of Yaakov going down with his family to Mitzrayim, definitely the the slavery, the affliction, they represent the realization of Hashem's decree of Ripping Haftarim, but there was no actual revelation of Hashem to the nation. I love calling Yetiyat Mitzrayim the time of the divine debut, and that's the central axis. And how did that happen? It wasn't just that Hashem decided at that moment. Rather, we also learned in Parshat Ba'ira, that Hashem listen by Yishma Hashem. Hashem hears the za'akot. We cry to Hashem, the God of our forefathers. And only in the wake of Am Yisrael's cry to Hashem, Hashem heard our voices, saw our affliction. 
And that's what created a mutual relationship that was established between Hashem and Am Yisrael. The Hester Panim is over. And now HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to to relate to us as we relate to him. This is where Hashem then hears the cry, sees the affliction, and Hashem takes us out of Mitzrayim. And this is a beautiful contrasting chiastic structure that we find. The A, B, and the individual, again, the Avo time period, no mention of Shem Hashem. C, we cry out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, B, A. And then, again, it's basically the first Sapsukim that open the speeches of our wanderings going from Kena'an down to Mitzrayim. And yet, by the end of the declaration, Pasuk Tet concludes the speech with the descendants being brought from Mitzrayim back to Kna'an, whereas Pasuk Vav describes the Egyptians' cruel mistreatment of Am Yisrael, verse 8 in contrast, describes Hashem's removal of his people from Egypt and the punishment of his oppressors. And therefore, what's very clear is that in order to show our recognition of Hashem giving us the land, we relate back to, obviously, the time period of the Avot. We have to go back to Avram Avinu. We have to go back to the wandering Armenian. We go back to Brit Ben Habtarim, because here there are clear linguistic thematic connections between the two. The significance of the Bikurim Declaration is a recognition and gratitude for Hashem fulfilling Brit Ben Habtarim to Avram, to Yitzchak, to Yaakov, which is we know is why we also incorporate this as part of our Haggadah on the night of Pesach, preceded with Bihi Shamda Labuteno Velano Shavahol Dorbadorum de Maleno Bahaluteno Lahaluteno Bakadosh Barhu Matileno Miadam Baruch Hashem Shomer Haftahatoli Israel Baruchu. We talk about Hashem who keeps his promises to Am Yisrael. So now the last question is why is it specifically the Bikurim? Of all the Rashit, of all the first fruits, again, why is Bikurim going to serve as the intermediary, as the medium, the vehicle for our gratitude to Hashem for the gift of the land? But now we see that the Bikurim combine two qualities which are not found together in any of the other Rashit, in any of the other first gifts that are brought from the produce of the land. It's these qualities that make this mitzvah special. Firstly, the Bikurim are brought from the seven species, which are the the epitome, the representation of the praise of Eretz Yisrael, as we know so well, also from the sin of the Meraglim, bringing the grapes of the land back. This is what most exemplifies the beauty, the rich nature, the the feeling of HaKadosh Baruch not just giving us any land, but a beautiful land. Secondly, the farmer has a special affection relationship with the fruits that are the first to ripen, specifically the fruits. He awaits their appearance. Yeshayo talks about the first ripe fig, which as soon as one sees it, one swallows it up. And I can say I know that feeling coming and awaiting also on our fig tree, on our pomegranate tree, awaiting that opportunity, waiting sometimes three years for finally our lemon tree to finish the years of Orla. And then first thing, you just want to you want to enjoy the fruit already. So too, again, particularly the fruits, the farmer looks at the fruit, anticipates the fruit, feels the joy in his heart, but then he realizes as he goes down to his field, to his backyard, what does he do? The Mishnah Bikurim tells us he ties a thread around them and he says, these are my Bikurim. These are Bikurim that belong to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Bikurim of the fruit of the land that are so blessed are the essence of the praise and the beauty of the land. And therefore, this is what we bring to the Beit HaMikdash as a mincha, 
as a gift, as a netina also to Hashem, expressing most appropriately our gratitude to Him for giving us a beautiful land, for the bi'ah, literally Hashem bringing us to Eretz Yisrael that gives forth its fruit with such plentitude. And this is why we now understand why we bring the Bikurim only from the Sheba Minim, only from the seven species, because these are what are unique to the land itself. The Bikurim and the Mikra Bikurim is a way of clarifying why we even bring the, the first of the fruits. We bring it because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is responsible for bringing us to the land. And now we're bringing the expression of those brachot, the fruit of the land to Hashem. That's why ownership of the fruits is insufficient for bringing bikurim. You have to own the land in order to thank Hashem for the land. And with this, proclaim literally toda Hashem. Notice that at the very end of Mikra Bikurim, after reciting, here Hashem, Thank you for bringing us to the Eretz of Vat Chalabudvash. We end Vata Hinehevitet Reshit Pri Adama Asher Natata Li Hashem. Vinachtolifne Hashem Alokacha Vishtachavita Lifne Hashem Alokacha Hashem. You gave this to me. Now I am thanking you for it. Vesamachta Bacholatova Sher Natanacha Hashem Alokacha Ulavetacha Atava Levi Vahagera Sherbekerbecha. And then we have the responsibility not only of enjoying the fruits ourselves, but ensuring that all those around us, seeing ourselves not only as individuals, but individuals who are part of a nation that HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought to Eretz Yisrael, to make sure that they join in on the simcha of our fruit as well. Now it's time for us to continue with the very next mitzvah, with the mitzvah of of Masrot. But once again, it's not just the mitzvah of Maser. It's actually the mitzvah of saying something. So this is why Rav David Hafman explains why these two mitzvot are juxtaposed one to the other, because it's not just about a mitzvah of the produce of the land. Both of them are going to be accompanied by proclamations. Let's take a look at Perek Chavav, Psukim Yudbet, through Tedvav. Ki tachalel la'aser et kol ma'asar tvoatcha b'shana ha'shlishit shnata ma'aser v'natata l'libi v'lager l'yatom v'lalmana v'achlu b'sharecha b'saveyu. When you complete giving all the tithes of a of the year, then, again, by the time you get to the third year, which is the year of the Maser, when you finish giving this to the Levi, <laughs> At the time that we can finish bringing three years of Masrot, then says the Torah, you shall say, you shall proclaim before Hashem that I put away all the things out of my house. I've given it to the levy, to the stranger, to the fatherless, to the widow. Just as you've commanded me, I have not transgressed any of your commandments, neither have I forgotten them. I've not eaten in my mourning, neither have I put any away when I was tame, when I was unclean, nor given for 
Tamea Lamet, when wife is near the dead, I have listened to everything that Hashem has said. I have done according to all that you've commanded me. So therefore, Hashem, look from your habitation, from heaven, and bless your people, Yisrael, and the land which you have given us. As you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. And right away, I hope everyone is hearing, wow, this proclamation also ends in exactly the way that Mikra Bikurim, that the proclamation of the Bikurim ends with the Eret Tavat Chalav Udbash. What a beautiful way to open up the parsha, but at the same time finish the mitzvah speech of Moshe Rabbeinu that we're going to go back to. But let, now let's take a look and see that we have a similar question here as we did with regard to the Bikurim, namely, why is Moshe mentioning this as a separate mitzvah? We've heard about the mitzvah of bringing masrot. We've heard about this, if you remember, in Bamidbar Perakut right after the contesting of the role of the Kohanim in Parshat Korach, we hear that the Leviim are commanded to recognize the Kohanim by giving trumat maser, literally a tithe, a tenth of what they're given from Bnei Yisrael, they now have to give a tenth to the Kohanim. We also heard in Parshat Re'eh, in Dvarim Perik Yudalid, we find several mitzvot connected to the cycle of the years, including Masrot in Perik Yudalid, Pasuk Chavbet, Pasuk Gimel. We hear about the idea of making sure that we give of our wine of our of our oil that we give them also to those to those around us before Hashem and the Torah also says that if you're living far from Hashem's Hashem the chosen place then you can also redeem your tithe with money again the Pidyon of the Ma'as wrote, and then come to the place, come to Yerushalayim, and celebrate with everyone with that money in Yerushalayim. That was in Devarim. So why not simply juxtapose all the mitzvot of of bringing the mass road together, just as we asked with regard to the Bikurim. We also see that there's even a hint to this in Vayikra Parachavzayin, the end of the Sefer, dealing with the laws of Hekdesh, with consecrated property, that everything that's Ma'aser already belongs to God, and therefore you cannot consecrate something that is already in the possession of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Therefore, again, we, we see that this obligation is going to be apparently an independent one. But why? Why separate it from, from the rest of the mitzvot of bringing Masrot? Well, as mentioned, when we look at this carefully, we see that this mitzvah contained here is not just about making sure that you separate your masrot. This time, we have what Chazal call, again, the bi'or masrot, the removal of all the masrot after every three years in the Shemitah cycle, that is during the fourth and, and, and the sixth years, as we know, the Torah commands us to remove from our houses all of the masro that have accumulated during these three years. So this is the perfect time. And as we're anticipating Shemitah, coming up next year and bring them again to their so we have the Maser Rishon to the Levi the Maser Sheni which as we know we have to take to the place and then after these three years then as we find it's not enough we have to also make sure that we have given to the Aniyim as well. From here we see that we have Maser Sheni, Maser Sheni, Maser Aniyir. So every year is one and two. We give of our Masrot to Yerushalayim. We bring everyone to to join us in the celebration. And every third year, we also give to the Ani. We From here we learn that we also have to give to the poor people. So the time of the Maser 
of the Levi is only, as Chazal teach us, from these psukim in the third and the sixth years, basically every three years. So now we understand a little bit of the idea of bringing Masrot, but once again, the particular mitzvah here of proclaiming something. So now we're going to take a look and see why was the mitzvah of Vidui Ma'asrot mentioned in this parsha and not written in the mitzvot or the commandments that begin in the beginning of Devarim, Parak Yudalid. Why is this a more appropriate place following the mitzvah, as we know, of simply stating that we brought our Masrot? Why not juxtapose it to the actual division and a distribution of Masrot at the beginning? So Rav David Hoffman explains that because once we bring our Bikurim and we're reciting something with regard to the Bikurim, then we're also going to recite with regard to the Masrot. He says it's the juxtaposition of the sections that deal with Mikra Bikurim and Vidoi Masrot that have a certain similarity. So it's important then to understand why they're here. He says the first section talks about bringing Takarosh Baruch our gifts, and then we recite something, so too here. Nonetheless, is this enough to justify uprooting the Maser from its section in its natural place? Isn't that a more essential or natural juxtaposition to place the mitzvah of Maser by Vidoy Masro by the proclamation? So Nechama Leibowitz, in her study of Vidoy Masro, and studies in Tvarim, she expands upon the meaning of the juxtaposition. And she knows that there is actually a difference between the two sections. She says the Ramban in Parshat Re'eh says that really the subject of Maser should be elaborated in a later section, he's referring to Parshat Kitavo. It should be found in this Parsha, because now we're going to hear about a nice summary and the proclamation. So the question then arises, says F. Professor Leibowitz, why was it not all written there? In order to juxtapose the Vidui Ma'asrot, the confession of the tithes, with the with the first fruits recitation, there's a similarity between them. She says it's not just about the idea of bringing all that's required and stating something. It's not just, as Rav David Hoffman says, that it again two different types of proclamations. Rather, there really is a similarity between them. What is that? In both the Israelite comes to the place, she says, chosen by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Both in Mepsukim Hey and Fasuk Yugimel, it says the same exact words of, you're going to recite something, Va'amarta Lifne Hashem. This is what introduces the declaration that then not only refers to the commandment itself, but there's also a connection between the two declarations, even though uh, there obviously is going to be difference between them. But in the case of the Bikurim, the individual speaks in the name, as we discuss, of the Rabim. He says, I have come to the land which Hashem has promised our fathers. And then talks about the Rabim. They afflicted us. We cried out. Hashem brought us to this place. Right With regard to the actual ending, we then say, that's why I have brought. 
In other words, with regard to the Bikurim, every individual sees himself really as representing the entire nation. Let's take a look at the Bidui Ma'as wrote. In the Confession of the Tithes, on the other hand, the individual speaks the entire time as an individual. It's not about the nation. It's the singular. The singular who says, I did not forget to uh, perform any of the mitzvot. I didn't talk. I didn't uh, and override any of the transgressions. I gave the Masro properly. So, with regard to the Bikurim, we find also Israel's sufferings, the cries that are emphasized, our affliction, our toil, and, and then we talk about the Yad Chazaka of Hashem, the bounty of Hashem. We heard about the term Netina mentioned six times in the third person, referring to Hashem as the one who gives us the land and dispenses the bounty to Am Yisrael as an expression of gratitude. But in the Vidui Masro, the emphasis is not placed on what Hashem did to Am Yisrael or even to the Jewish people. The stress is placed on what the personal member of Am Yisrael did, what he did not forget, what he did not neglect to do, what he didn't spoil. As one counting, you know, his small change, says Nechamalebowitz, concluding, I have done everything that you commanded me. And therefore, we see that there really is a connection between these two declarations. But the connection is not simply in the terminology, not even just in the nuance, but actually in the contrast. As soon as we hear the resonance, we're meant to be sensitive to the dissonance. There is a contrast between the individual who's speaking in the name of the people and the individual who's speaking only in his own name. There's a contrast between between relating to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's goodness and giving and relating to the speaker, the individual who talks about his good deeds in the realm of observing the mitzvot of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, we now have to ask ourselves, what's the reason for these contrasts? What's this? And that will also help us understand what's the significance of the juxtaposition between these two proclamations. And maybe if we take a look at the, uh, the different ideas presented Within these two different declarations, we'll be able to appreciate the juxtaposition between them more as well. Well, we go back then to the Mikra Bikurim, the first fruits recitation, and we see that they actually have an, a close connection to the entire theme of mitzvot. And what do I mean by this? Again, we go back to appreciating the placement of these mitzvot at the very end, after, as we said, 22 chapters of the mitzvot of Moshe Rabbeinu. There seems to be a special reason for placing these two sections, both of which contain a declaration on the part of one who's fulfilling a mitzvah discussed in that section and the conclusion of this entire Neum HaMitzvot, the entire oration of mitzvot. So on one hand, as we discussed, there is a fundamental difference between these two declarations by those who keep mitzvot. There's the mitzvah bringing the first fruits, the bikurim to the mikdash, and there's the mitzvah of removing your maser from your house. And the declaration made by the one who's bringing the bikurim also contains our confirmation of the individual as representing a nation, the nation that Hashem has brought to, to Eretz Yisrael. And in Bidoy Masro, the confession of the tithes, the Israelite stresses, as we said, what he did or what he did not do. Maybe this is the idea behind what Moshe is trying to teach us. The combination of these two declarations expresses the perfect reciprocal relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Am Yisrael. Hashem, we say in Mikra Bikurim, fulfills His promise to Am Yisrael as a people, as a people who then and will go off to their individual lands, as we know, see Sefer Yehoshua, Shoftim, and a people who are meant to live on their homesteads, a people in their Nachala, every single farmer, 
can, and therefore every individual, each individual member of Am Yisrael, can comes before Hashem and says, Hashem, thank you for the nachalah that you gave me, which basically represents the fulfillment of the national promise. But at the same time, the Torah then tells us, Moshe says, wait, one more mitzvah. It's not just about that national level. It's also every individual member of Am Yisrael has to come before Hashem and say that they obey Hashem's voice just as he's, he commanded. This is the ideal state in the relationship between Hashem and Am Yisrael. This is how Moshe wants to end the mitzvah speech. On one hand, you're all part of a nation. At the same time, you all have that individual responsibility. And I've heard also from Rabbi Nachum Liebtag beautifully that the end of the mitzvah speech basically serves then as a beautiful summary for everything that Moshe Rabbeinu has been teaching us from the very beginning of Sefer Dvarim. Now, as we are about to hear the Brit, the Brit, the covenant that is going to link us to Hayom, to the day that we stood before HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Harsinai and said, the responsibility to fulfill the mitzvot, now the added element of the barometer of the land. You have a mitzvah to connect HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the land that he is going to bring you to. And that's exactly what Moshe Rabbeinu wants to introduce now as well. That same Hayom, the stress rehearsal in our vote Moab that you're going to re-accept when you get to Shechem, when you enter the land of Eretz Yisrael. Wait a second. Remember that there are two aspects to your identity. One is the aspect of Bikurim. Bikurim, the declaration of Bikurim, is basically our pledge of allegiance, not just to Hashem, but to Hashem who gave us a land. It's our recognition, it's our gratitude, it's our thanksgiving to Hashem on a national level. That's our national identity. And then we also hear, says Moshe, don't forget, not just Masrod, that we heard about in Devarim Paragyadalid, you heard in Vayukra, you heard about in Shmot. Now it's about Vidoy Masrod. It's about what you're going to proclaim as an individual, how you're going to say, state before HaKadosh Baruch Hu that you fulfilled all of the mitzvot. This is the other aspect of our identity, the individual identity of Shmirat Mitzvot. And sometimes, as we know, when we come to Eretz Yisrael, we get caught up with our national identity, which is beautiful, as we send our children to the army, as we recite Hatikva, as we celebrate our national holidays here. And yet sometimes we forget about the religious observance. We forget about the strict nature of following the commandments, the mitzvot of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, being meticulous with regard to observance of halacha. On the flip side, we know that in Chutz Laaretz, it's more on an individual basis, wherein everyone is scrupulous about mitzvah observance, but they don't really think about the Bikurim aspect of what it means to be a member of Am Yisrael. We forget about the national identity and focus on the individual identity. Moshe Rabbeinu comes at the ends of all the mitzvot and says, this is a summary of all the mitzvot. This is what it means to be the ideal Jew. You have to combine Mikra Bikurim. It's about your proclamation. What really is your Pledge of Allegiance? Standing before HaKadosh Baruch Hu and recognizing that you have national identity. You're part of a nation that Hashem has brought you to again to this land. You have a connection to the land. And don't forget, though, that you also, as individuals, have to be careful about mitzvah observance. You're meant to be a Bikurim Jew and a Maser Jew. And don't, don't leave one for the sake of the other. And here on the verge, literally, of imminent entrance to the lands of Israel, you may get caught up with a Bikurim. So just remember, it's the fruit of the land that Hashem has given you. And don't forget that you also have to be careful with the mitzvah observance. This, then we understand, is the most appropriate way to end Moshe's mitzvah speech. He's talking about the mitzvot then, that are really not just a summary of 
everything he's been trying to say. But there's also, take a look at the very end, Parachafav, Pasuk Tetvav, there's also a tzvilah. A tzvilah for the continuation of this ideal mutual relationship, of the relationship of the land and the relationship of the mitzvot, a means of thanking Hashem for everything Hashem has done, and also telling Hashem, Hashem, we also are careful about what we do for you. And that's why, Hashkifa mim'on kachacha min hashamayim. Hashem, look forth from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people, Israel, and the land which you have given us as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. And this, as we know, is the way that the Mishnah also talks about the Tzvilah Maser Sheni. Hashem hashgifamim on kachacha, because look, Hashem, we did. We did what you wanted from us. And you did what you had promised to us. And barechatamcha Yisrael, with sons and daughters, and the land which you have given us. Yes, with the dew and the rain. The conclusion of Moshe's mitzvah speech concerning the mitzvot of Mikra Bikurim and Vidoy Masrot comes right before the Brit of a Parshat Kitavo, right before the covenant, and comes to present the mutual relationship between Hashem and Am Yisrael as a covenantal relationship founded on keeping the mitzvot, the giving of which has now concluded with these two mitzvot, with the mitzvot that reminds us of what Hashem does for us and the Mikra that reminds us of what we do for Hashem. So let's quickly just take a look at Bidoy Masroth in these last few moments to examine the structure of this section and recognize that there are really four psukim in the Bidoy Masroth, a very short paragraph. And the short section is divided into two halves of equal length of 42 words in, in each section. And the first half deals with the actions performed by the person first an objective account and followed by a report about them by the person, meaning when you have made an end, when you have finished giving off all your mass roads. And we also say, I have put away these things. I have given it to the Levi, to the Ger, and also have given them to the Levi and the Ger. So the second half that deals with the things that may not necessarily be known, right? We note then that first it deals with the wheat that the person did not, uh, deals with what the person did not do, contrary to Hashem's command, and therefore it's not necessarily obvious. And then with the blessing that is also hidden with regard to Hashem blessing his people with and his land from Shemayim. So the parallel between the two parts of the Mikrobikurim is going to be first a verbal section, a very manifest section, and then the contrasting with and everything that we don't necessarily see, right? The parts that lo achalti mimenu, lo bi'arti mimenu and what may not necessarily be known. So from here we see that there's a parallel between the opening section and the conclusion, again, not necessarily in all of its verbal form, but really in the content itself. The opening Pasuk talks about the description of the person's actions, not by the person himself, but the Torah tells us what he did. The closing talks about, again, the person himself, the actions, and really of, in the end, of Hashem that we seek as a reward for what we do. And there's one word that serves as the Milam Mancha here, and that's going to be the word again of Nitina of giving, right? I have given to the Levi. I have given not just to uh, the Levi, but also again to 
what I have given, what I have not given, and Hashem, what you have given us, the land of Eretz Abad So Hashem has given us this land so that we may give of its produce to the Levi, to the Ger, and to all those who serve in the Mikdash, to all those who don't necessarily have a Nachala. By virtue of our giving, Hashem is going to bless the givers. Hashem will bless Etzamcha Yisrael as well as the gift, clearly, that we give up that we give to them, Hashem should also give. And Hashem should give us and bless the land flowing with milk and honey. And therefore, we end now with the idea of why do we call this? Or why do Chazal call this? Gen vidui ma'asrot. Right here is just presented as something that we recite. Va'amarta, the exact same terminology that we saw by the Mikra Bikurim, by the proclamation of the first fruits. Why do we call this a vidui? Generally, when we think about the word vidui, and we think about a confession, a confession for our sins, right? So much so that the Mishnah Maser Sheni tells us that you bring a vidui and how, what do I say when I bring the vidui, Hashem, Amarte, love, this is what I did, this is what I didn't do. So although the word vidui doesn't actually appear anywhere in Tanakh, we know that the root of Yud Dalit Ayin does appear, right? It actually appears 11 times referring to uh, confessing one's sins to Hashem. So is that what we're talking about? confessing our sins, what we did, what we didn't do with regard to properly dividing up the, the mass road. But interestingly, also in Maser Sheni, the very last Mishnah, there it talks about, again, Yochanan, the Kohen Gadol, who stopped the Vidui, again, the Vidui Maasrot, but there it's not called the Vidui, but Hodayat Maaser. Again, he canceled the recitation again, of this speech, again, during the time of the Second Beit HaMikdash. Because people were not giving their maserishon and and not to uh, the priests and not to the levium, so they couldn't say yes. I also give my my maser to the levi. So is it a hodayat maser? Is it a thanksgiving of maser, or is it a confession of maser? So uh, on one hand, what we see is that it's a little bit of both. And the Rashbam tells us, he says, that's why you have to recite this before Hashem. You recite this, again, because this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded. And this way, the person will not say that he held back his masro because he knows that he has to appear before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In other words, the fact that one knows that he's obligated to say these things before Hashem will prevent him, will serve as a deterrent in thinking that he can get away without giving these things to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's why, again, we actually see this interesting understanding, both of the Rashbam, understanding that it is a vidui. I have to make sure that I confess even those thoughts that I could have had to not give the Maser. And similarly, Rav Cook also explains in Ein Ayah, he talks about the Torah giving us a way to remind us to not only not sin, but also it's a way of reminding us that a person has to rejoice at times and give verbal expression, not just to the possibility of sin, but also to good deeds that he has performed. A beautiful idea here. That's why Rav Kook continues, just as there's great benefit for the repair of his soul and the confession of his iniquities, so too there's benefit at fixed times, which are distant and not as frequent as the confession of sins, also in the confession of his mitzvot, so that he may rejoice in them 
and his heart and strengthen the way of life and the path of Hashem. And this is such a beautiful psychological explanation of appreciating also our sense of confidence. In other words, we don't just talk about the negative commandments that we didn't do, but also the positive commandments. And that's why we talk about them, Lifne Hashem. We appear before HaKadosh Baruch Hu, helping us understand that the reason why this is called a vidui is because it's not just confession, but rather it's a sort of mirror image of, of what a confession is meant to be. Namely, these two types of, of confessions. There's a benefit in repairing us by confessing for our sins, as the Rashbam says, but there's also a benefit in confessing our mitzvah vote. And saying to Hashem, you know what? We're really not so bad. We also may rejoice in them in, in our heart and strengthen this in a way of encouraging us to continue to fulfill the mitzvot. And maybe this is why Chazal gave the name of Vidui, so that we can also hear not only a sense of confession, but also a sense of gratitude, also a sense of positivity. And what a beautiful way then for Moshe Rabbeinu to end the Nu'um mitzvot with a symbiotic relationship between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Am Yisrael, with what Hashem has given us. And what we tell Hashem and state before Hashem, we have given Him. Both uh, how we have not transgressed numerous Avirot, and at the same time, how we have kept His mitzvot, the national mitzvot, and also the individual mitzvot, the two aspects of our identity, our national relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu through the land, the fulfillment of the promises to the Avot, and simultaneously, our responsibility then to fulfill the mitzvot so that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will then bless the land, our religious identity, which is connected to keeping even the the details of halakha, what and when I gave maser, when I burned my maser, when I gave it properly to the respective beneficiaries. Notice also then the focus on the ben adam l'makom, ben adam l'chaviro. This is really a beautiful summary, the beginning of Parshat Kitavo, to what the rest of the parsha is all about, which is to ensure the perpetuation of the covenant itself of the Brit, to uphold the Brit. And what does that mean? It means to be able to stand before God and to proclaim Aramio Vedavi that once upon a time we really all were individuals and we come stand as the individual farmers to say, Hashem, we thank you for the land that you gave us as a nation. We're part of a greater whole. We appreciate our national identity. And at the same time, even though we've heard about the mitzvot of Maser before, this time we're going to state, nay, we're going to confess, and we're going to also profess. Again, our observance of the mitzvot as we recite what Chazal call now vidui ma'asrot. And even, even for those mitzvot that are not always clear to others, we stand before Hashem and say, we've kept those as well. And therefore, hashkifa mimon kachacha. Hashem, you then should be manifest to us as well through the blessings. What better way to bless an individual who shares of his produce of the land with others than to bless that land, that same land that we just mentioned in Mikra Bikurim as a fulfillment of the promises is also a barometer then of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as Hashem will bless. Bless this land. Eretz Chalav Udvash. Wishing everyone a Shabbat Shalom and continued not only learning, but living the Zah Parshiot of Sefer Tvarim. 
Thanks for listening. You can stream and download all Matan podcast episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and Matan's website. Feel free to share feedback with us as you listen. You can write us at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Lastly, please do Matan Podcast and Women's Torah Learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new audiences. Shabbat Shalom.